Welcome to this month's episode of And That's Okay, the podcast where we sit down and have honest talks about being different and accepting those differences. Today, to talk about her journey, we have Miss Stamford USA, Renee Reyes. Welcome, Renee. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Alyssa. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get started, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Renee Reyes, as you guys just heard. I'm 22 years old. I work as a professional horticulturist. I'm also the founder of the nonprofit organization, The Aloe Peace Project, and I was most recently Miss Stanford USA 2021, advocating for alopecia awareness and um, embracing your differences. That's amazing. I loved you at Miss Connecticut USA. Your evening gown walk was fantastic, by the way. I just thought I should mention that. Thank you so much. Wow. (laughs) Now, you've inspired so many people with your story and your message that hair is not a requirement for beauty. How did you internalize that message and learn that for yourself? Well, I guess I don't, I never thought that beauty was something that was on the outside or something that reflects on the outside. I mean, it definitely, your appearance, your overall appearance definitely plays a role. But for me, I would look in the mirror after I lost my hair and feel so bad about myself. And, you know, through a lot of like self-reflection and work in self-love, I realized that I didn't deserve to look in the mirror and and feel that bad. I realized that hair is not a requirement for beauty. Beauty is something that you work towards and achieve when you learn to be happy in your own skin. And yeah, I just didn't think that it was fair to myself to have to see myself in this state and think that I wasn't beautiful. I think that's great. That's such a good message too. And you, like we said at the beginning, you just walked the Miss Connecticut stage, which was your first pageant since your alopecia diagnosis, correct? Correct. (laughs) And my second pageant ever. (laughs) How did it feel walking across the stage as your most authentic self, having accepted that diagnosis? Honestly, I knew that I was going to have such a fun time and I have been looking forward to that moment for months and months, but I was not prepared for how emotionally liberating it was going to feel. Like the second I walked on that stage, I felt like a huge weight had been lifted from my chest. I mean, I didn't even know I was carrying anything because I thought that I was already happy in my own skin. I felt happy and confident, like rocking my bald, patchy head. And, you know, I was feeling pretty good. But the second I walked on that stage, I was like, wow, this entire weekend, all of the other girls and everyone I've been surrounded with has been nothing but kind and accepting and embracing of who I was. And just being on that stage on in the lights and in front of everyone, just being unapologetically myself was the most, probably the most freeing experience I've ever had. And I am so incredibly grateful for that opportunity. It was, it was so surreal and mind blowing. <laughs> I can imagine. I remember my first pageant was absolutely terrifying. So I can't imagine how it felt to get up there and just sort of be your most confident self. I love that. That was so cute. (laughs) So what advice do you have for girls who are struggling with a similar issue such as alopecia? I think that you deserve to be unapologetically you. And 
you know what? It helps other people. So not only do you deserve to feel happy in your own skin, but it's also making a really important statement for others and making other people feel like they can be themselves too. And I think just sharing that experience with everyone is really important and it's definitely um, going in the right direction for making change on a grander scale. So I, I mean, obviously it's easier said than done, but I just want you to remember that you deserve that. You deserve to feel beautiful in your own skin. You deserve to be yourself. And anyone who has something critical to say, their voice is not the one that matters. Because at the end of the day, if no one is going to be your cheerleader, you need to be your own. And I promise you will feel so much better when you start thinking about things in that way. <laughs> yes, I love that. Now, something else that you've mentioned a lot that has been very important to your personal journey just in general is the fact that you are a first-generation American? Correct. How did that affect you sort of in your teenage years and growing up, especially in a time of where immigrants are maybe not, there's a lot of just sort of conversation around them? Yeah, so... Being a first-generation American, there's a lot of pressure to be a pioneer for your family. You're the first, I guess, generation that's here in America setting roots and a foundation that all of your peers already have from being here for generations and generations. So there's this huge pressure to be someone important, to make a change, to, you know, kind of get the ball rolling for creating generational wealth for your family and that kind of thing. And so navigating that pressure at the same time as dealing with you know, um, maybe uncomfortable like racial relations at school and just growing up and that kind of thing is definitely really challenging. Like while I was trying to, you know, get good grades and like feeling this pressure to get into a great school, um, you know, have this amazing job and stuff like from my parents and from my family side of things, I was also hitting all of these obstacles and roadblocks that come with just being a person of color in America and being an immigrant in America. And while there are certain things about the experience of people of color that are in common, I think there is a unique experience that immigrants specifically have with that just additional pressure to perform. <laughs> I can imagine that's pretty intense, especially because, like you said, your family does tend to put a lot of pressure on you to establish roots. So that's a lot for especially a teenager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how did you sort of overcome that? And what advice do you have for other first generation American teenagers, especially ones that are coming in this upcoming generation where, again, there's going to be a lot of immigrant conversations but, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually think I let my parents down pretty hard at first. Um, oh, no. Yeah, I I mean, I had pretty good grades in school, but um, high school was kind of difficult for me. It was a little bit traumatic. Um, I survived sexual assault when I was in high school, and that kind of just affected my academic performance a little bit. So while I had good grades, it definitely wasn't the best that it could have been. And I ended up getting into Fordham University. Um, but after my first year at Fordham, I was actually kidnapped, which again, kind of, yeah, it's so like, intense. Yeah, it like kind of threw a wrench in things. And I got um, dismissed from Fordham and I came back 
um, to the United States and I was working a minimum wage job at a movie theater at age like 18, 19, 20. And it was totally the opposite of the vision my parents had for me, like out of college, uneducated, working a minimum wage job, you know, cleaning bathrooms, like totally, totally not what my parents wanted for their kids when they immigrated to America. Um, but I guess it really just took putting my pride aside, putting my head down, focusing, not caring about the expectations, like letting go of the expectations and the pressure and just thinking about what do I want to do and what can I do and what are the steps I can take to get there. And it was just, you know, taking step by step, just like a little bit at a time. Um, I work as a professional horticulturist and to get to where I am now, while I was working a minimum wage job at the movie theater, I was collect, I was using my um, my pay to collect horticulture textbooks, used horticulture textbooks that I was studying by myself. Every night when I would get home at work around 1am, I would take one to two hours to read those books. And then in the morning, I would wake up again and I would read those books and I would practice on real plants. And little by little, I just acquired those skills on my own. Meanwhile, you know, my peers who are in um, prestigious colleges and stuff. They're, you know, working, working their butts off, you know, under these like super world-class professors and stuff. And I definitely felt envious a little bit, but I can I, imagine just a little. Yeah. And I, but I kept at it. And that's, what's really important, staying consistent and keeping your mind focused on your goals. And after becoming a horticulturist, I was able to finally rent out my own apartment. And so I had a shelter I had my own agency and then from there it was just you know keeping on going like um, I, I got just keeping on working at my horticulture job and eventually just getting to the point where I felt confident enough to join the pageant and then using that as a platform to start my own business and you know spread my message of alopecia awareness and so here we are now hopefully my parents are pretty happy with what I've done <laughs> so far even though it kind of looked like it was going in the wrong direction at first and now I have a 4.0 GPA at community college which is an amazing option by the way I, I think community colleges are great and hopefully I will be able to transfer to that university that my parents have always dreamed of me going to um, but yeah like you can do it the pressure is a lot I know the pressure and expectations are a lot but really you just need to put that aside and focus on your own goals. And I think if you do that and focus on how you can help yourself and empower yourself and your own life, you can get to the point where your family um, back in your home country will be looking at you like, wow, you did good. <laughs> We're very impressed. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think your story, especially because you overcame so much shows that success is not a box that anybody can put you in. Success is not always having a diploma from a four-year university. Sometimes it's learning and getting yourself through college. And I agree, community college is great. I'm a community mm -hmm. college student. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. And it's saving a lot of money. <laughs> yes, you get the same education for a lot cheaper. It's the Agreed. best. <laughs> yes. Um, so something that I did want to touch on that you mentioned, not too much because I'm sure it was a very traumatic experience, um, was your sexual assault when you were a teenager. Now, obviously, sexual assault is a rampant issue, especially looking at just statistics. A recent study said 97% of women have been sexually harassed or assaulted. So wow. 
what advice do you have to give to other sexual assault survivors who maybe aren't as comfortable with themselves after their assault? Honestly, wow, that's a really hard one. Um, I think the most important thing is this. Wow, that's going to come off really hypocritical because I'm the one giving advice here. But the most important thing right now is yourself. What is going to make you feel safe? What is going to make you feel comfortable? If you don't feel comfortable coming up and speaking out, that's okay because it's totally understandable that stories of sexual assault are not yet fully believed and accepted. And it's a really scary thing to talk about. Um, but if you also feel like, you know, you're kind of bottling something up by, by not talking about it, um, I would probably advise you to seek professional help from a therapist or, you know, talk to a friend that you really, really trust. And e you definitely don't want to be alone during this time. And you certainly are not alone. Um, like Alyssa said, so many of us have been subjected to this kind of thing and you're 100% not alone. Remember that you're not alone. Remember that you are valued and cared about and you deserve to feel safe. And so whatever is going to make you feel safe in this moment is, is what you should be doing. I love that. That's such good advice, especially because sexual assault makes you feel so alone, like you're the only person in the world. So I think knowing that there's a community of women and even men who have experienced exactly what you're going through is really mm -hmm. important to know. Right, exactly. So sort of circling back to pageantry, because that was a bit of a dark topic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe that you will be competing for the Miss Connecticut title again? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, as long as I stay in Connecticut, and I definitely don't have any plans for moving anytime soon, um, I'm definitely planning on coming back to the competition next year, if I'm still here. But I, I would also consider competing in other states as well, if that's where life takes me. I mean, even though I didn't win or even place in the top five, just the platform I gained by being a contestant was so valuable to me. And I feel like I made the most of it. And pageants have just been a great way for me to network with people who have helped me um, achieve my dreams and my goals and ambitions. And it's also just such an empowering atmosphere to be a part of. And I love just watching and learning from other girls who are just as passionate as me. So this is an experience that I'm going to want to chase again and again. <laughs> I love that. That's that's what I'm doing too. I'll be competing for Miss Montana Teen USA in September. Okay. Awesome. And this will be my last year competing as a teen, which is so wow. sad for me. <laughs> oh, really? You're yes. You want to compete as a Miss? I haven't decided. Okay. I don't think so. I don't love swimsuits, so I feel like walking across the stage in a swimsuit would be really scary for me. But at the same time, I feel like it would be a really freeing experience to just say this is who I am this is me in yeah. a swimsuit on stage it could be very vulnerable though I, I totally see that <laughs> yes so if you were to win any sort of state title even if it wasn't Connecticut what do you think you would do with your title and what would you sort of advocate for um I well <laughs> I mean just seeing like all the coverage and how people are talking about me um People are describing me as someone who breaks beauty standards and that kind of thing. And alopecia is always going to be part of my platform. And breaking down beauty standards is always going to be a part of my platform. And I really want to kind of change the conversation surrounding beauty standards. Like, I don't think that 
changing beauty standards means taking a trait that men or society don't objectify or find attractive, like, for example, my patchy head, and try to market that trait to be objectified and found attractive by the wrong people. You know, it's not about saying, hey, you know, long, luscious hair is hot. You know what? Mine is too. It's not about that. I think that changing beauty standards means embracing your own body and finding beauty in all the wonderful ways that it serves you, um, taking charge of your own identity and owning what makes you different, and seeing how defining your own beauty can empower you and others around you. I think a really important question to ask yourself is, how can you wield your own unique beauty to empower your life and the lives of others? I think that that is the most important perspective we can take when we're looking at beauty. Like, at the end of the day, I don't think any pageant judge is looking at the girls on stage or in an interview and measuring who has the biggest butt, who has the smallest waist, who has the straightest nose. The women who are perceived as the most beautiful the moment they step into a room are the ones who have mastered themselves and their individuality, in that they have realized that their differences are not flaws and that there is no such thing as a flaw on a woman's body. I truly believe there's no such thing as a flaw on a woman's body. Social media often tries to convince us otherwise, but it's really not about the body itself, it's about the person inhabiting it. Like, I want people to know that your body is not who you are. It's just how do you use the body that you are blessed with to communicate who you are? How do you conduct and present yourself? Are there any methods of self-expression through which you share your values and further your goals and ambitions? I want people to realize that um, a really cool quote that I saw was that the cause of poor body image is not that only certain women's bodies are valued, it's that women's bodies are valued more than women themselves. And that's kind of how I want to restructure how we're thinking about beauty standards, like in everything that I do, pageants and outside of that. <laughs> I think that quote that you mentioned is so true. And especially in such a male-dominated society, women are often so subjected based on their body type, their body, how they look in general, especially with companies like Victoria's Secret just encouraging the very thin, very square-shaped body. So I think focusing mm -hmm. more on the woman other than her body is such an important message. Yep, exactly. <laughs> now, to sort of wrap this up, um, is there anything you wish that you could tell young teenagers that you wish you had known when they were your age or when you were their age? Sorry. Um, if being beautiful and feeling beautiful is something that you're seeking, I want you to know that beauty happens when you learn to be happy in your own skin, that beauty is a feeling and a state of mind, and no matter what any of the other girls look like around you, it doesn't matter. Like, you are you, you are uniquely you, that is so special and that is so beautiful, and I, I want you to embrace that because there's no one like you and that's just amazing. Well, thank you so much, Renee, for joining me. It was so great talking to you. I love your message. I loved you in Miss Connecticut, and I can't wait to see you take the pageant stage again. Thank you so much, Alyssa, and good luck to you with your upcoming pageant. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this month's episode of And That's Okay. Just a reminder, everyone, nobody is perfect, and that's okay. Have a great day.